let's say you want to make an education video with live action so you just have the camera on it so the price is like script storyboard and then the shooting location if you want to like renting right the camera that you rent if you already had the camera how much do you want if the camera is renting to other people you can always find the reference of how much this camera price renting how much is the camera how much is the place how much is let's say the lighting if you want how much is the pay price for like the microphone so you break down all that kind of stuffs and then see if you can find profit around it Hey everyone, welcome to episode 108 of the So This Is My Why podcast and happy Chinese New Year. I'm your host and producer, Lingya. And before we start, a special thanks to Descript for sponsoring this episode. Now Descript, if you don't know, is the app that I use to edit this podcast. And without it, you wouldn't have Steamy. All you have to do is just check any recording that you have, whether it's audio and video, dump it into the program and within a minute, you'll have everything transcribed. And the best part is, You can edit the transcript and it will automatically edit the corresponding audio or video. I highly recommend this script if you happen to be managing any audio video files. So do check it out. The link is in the show notes below. Now on to today's guest, Gerald Sebastian. Gerald is one of the biggest YouTubers you'll find in Asia. He runs Kokbisa, a popular animated YouTube channel that has over 4.26 million subscribers and answers questions about pretty much everything. For instance, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Why does gasoline smell good? Why do nations not print as many bills as they want? And what exactly is the economic crisis? Gerald shares in this episode how he wanted to be a superhero when he was a child, and how he ended up becoming a YouTuber, how they create content, their growth and monetization strategies, and so much more. So if you've ever wondered what it's like to be a professional YouTuber, especially in Asia, then this is the episode for you. So are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the So This Is My Why podcast, where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life. And here's your host, Ling Ya. When you were in kindergarten, you wanted to be a superhero. Why? I'm going to start with every question that kindergarten student have been asked by its teachers. When we are kids, it's always be like someone asks you, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's always be like that questions. And the answer is always the template that we have. A pilot, teacher, a lawyer. And right now you have another job that you can have. It's like become podcasters, become YouTuber. When my teacher asked me that day in my classroom, I cannot forget about it because it's so ridiculous. When she asked me, hey, Gerald, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I want to be a superhero. I want to be a Superman. I want to be a Batman. <laughs> Everybody in the classroom was laughing because I was so serious answering that. I don't want to be like a template answer on become a teacher or anything. It doesn't mean that become a teacher is bad. No, it is my preference is to become a superhero. Because I think it looks cool that I can have a superpower like flying and then have super strength that you can lift a thousand kilograms of ass. I think that's the reason why it, it just looks cool. But the meaning of the superhero is changed. Maybe I can like answering it about a superhero that I, the meaning of the superhero for me now. 
You came from a mid-low economic background, but your father was a teacher in secondary school. I imagine that kind of exposure really influenced your awareness and the thought that education is very important. Uh, yeah, first thing first, I'm not a good student. <laughs> you might say I'm a bad student. I'm very naughty when I was like in elementary high schools and my father was a teacher and he's actually teaching in a good private school. That's why I attended a good private school for free. Actually, it's not for free. I still have like to pay intuition, but it's cheaper because that's the privilege of my father becoming a teacher. My father always put the education first in our family. A good private school means that you have to like studying a lot. I think you have like a Singaporean term for it. Kiasu, is it? Yes, that's right. Kiasu. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, I think I'm coming into like very cramming school, I must say. <laughs> that's what happened when you actually come into school with this kind of standard. And then you have to like learn from A to B. And then finally, when you take a test, it's going to be like Z. It's going to be like, why? So a lot of things that you need to learn by itself. So I imagine you felt kind of lost then because that wasn't really your thing, right? Were you more of an art student? Because you end up doing graphic design after that. No, I was lucky enough when I was like in elementary, I have a teacher who actually can answering all my questions. When I was a kid, I was like asking a lot. Asking non-stops about anything that, that I saw, anything that I listened, anything that I that I curious to. I think everybody in the world, when, they, when he or she was a kid, they ask questions like they just like curious. I think it's our human nature as well. So I met my elementary teacher who can like answering all my questions. And you know what happened when someone asking question in the middle of the class, and I'm the one who like always raised my hand, always asking about anything. So a lot of people was just like, "Hey, what are you doing?" How do you go from always asking questions to doing communication science then at Universitas Indonesia? Before I jump into the university, I'm going to go back a little while on how the education things that really changes me. So when elementary, I have bunch of questions that can be answered, but I think it's coming from middle school when it's all become broad learning, just like memorizing all the things because it's much easier than you like understanding about the subjects. So the point is when I was in high school, I fell for one year. So I have to repeat for one year. The thing is, I always thinking that maybe if I memorize this formula, maybe if I memorize this kind of histories or else, maybe I can get a good score. But at the end of the day, it, it doesn't work. So I'm going to change the way I learn. From memorizing, it's quite a bit changes because I failed at school and I want to know what happened in my learning process. So I need to be more critical. I need to be like asking a lot of questions. I need to be like understanding rather than memorizing all the things. I think memorizing is not bad. There's a thing that you have to memorize, but memorizing is not the only thing that you can do. And finally, when I was in high school, so the funny thing is I really like to go for design, like digital design. I like to doodle a lot, but my hand draw is not really that good when compared to other artists. I learned digital design by the internet. Because I'm curious, I want to know if I cannot draw with my hand drawn, is there anything that I can do in digital? After I found that things, it sparks me a lot and I really like it. The next thing that I'm thinking is, okay, when I finish my high school, I want to go to graphic design major. But because I'm from middle, low income, I don't have the money to pay for college. So after a talk with my parents, they said, maybe you just have come to a public college because it's cheaper. So the reason I go to University of Indonesia because it's cheaper, not because it's good. 
<laughs> that's right. I yeah. mean, like at the end of the day, when you went to Universitas Indonesia, that's where you met your co-founders. So it all worked yeah. out yet. So how did it work out? Because you were freelancing already, as I understand it. And then yeah. you were also with your co-founders. And then this idea of Kobisa came out. How did it start? Yeah. After I got accepted in University of Indonesia, I'm quite happy because yeah, University of Indonesia is one of the good university in Indonesia. And also I can afford it. I also got a scholarship. After I got a scholarship, I also asking for cheaper tuition as well because I cannot pay. The other thing that I did is I also do a freelance design in my spare time. And because of that, a lot of people is knowing that I can design. When somebody are good at something, they, everybody will always ask you to like do this. So when you're good at design, all the college team asking you to like, hey, can you do a design poster for me? Can you do this logo for me? I've been asked a lot. And that's when I found my co-founder. I met him when I did something with him. And the first time I met him, he's like, hey, you playing guitars? Yeah. Oh, we should jam sometimes. And then we're just like jamming maybe once or twice a week. And then we're enjoying playing the music. One day he just like asked me, Hey, do you want to like helping me with my YouTube projects? And I was like, Oh yeah, sure, sure. What is that? I have like a YouTube project that's similar to the educational content in US or UK and expanding things with animation. And I'm thinking that you also can do a design, right? And I was like, yeah, I do design. Maybe I can help you with that. I really like the missions on how he built the things. The name of the channel was Kobisa. I cannot find any videos of Kobisa. Kobisa meaning is how come in English. So you know when people are talking about how come. So it's just like maybe a clickbait title that you can find on YouTube. And I cannot find the YouTube channel. <laughs> people said that our YouTube channel will have a big subscribe. But at very first start, you cannot find our channel. I really like the missions of how the entertainment and also the education content can also fill up the gap and also become an alternative in Indonesia content. And just to set the context at the time with Kok Bisa, what kind of other educational content was there? And how were you going to be different? It's a funny part. I was like, maybe the first acknowledged by a YouTube audience. There's a lot of educational content, like teachers teaching in front of the class. Objective is quite different because we want to like spark curiosity of people and entertain so people can like asking questions and also curious about the things because that's the things that I miss in Indonesian content. When we create Kobisa, the content in Indonesia is a lot of dramas, prank. <laughs> I'm okay with that content. So Actually, not I strictly need... educational, it's more prank and humorous. Yeah. I think we just need an alternative for people to actually like this entertainment content and also the education content for fun, for your knowledge. We have some like national TV, but it didn't work. So it's like 2014, 2015, the TV is still on in Indonesia and nobody knows about YouTube. Nobody really wants to become YouTuber. At first, no one know about it. And from 2014 until 2015, we're just waiting. Maybe someone or some big TV station will make an educational content, but no. So we just have to start somewhere else. Actually, start from my co-founder, Katut. He have this concept for like a year, 2014 to 2015. He want to execute, but I think it's quite hard for him to making it alone. So he asked me to help on the graphic design. So you knew what was already out there. You wanted Kobisa to be fun, animated, but also educational. What did they actually look like when you come to produce in the video? Did you know exactly what it was going to look like? What kind of content you were going to do? We have a lot of influence from other YouTubers as well. Mark Robert? Yeah, one of them. 
One of them is like Mark Grober, if you can also watch Chris Giza. So in the nutshell, there's like the animations and also expanding about science things. The Green Brothers, Hang and John Green, they also have like crash course. It looks so good. It looks so good. It's so entertaining. It's so educating. It's like taking the inspiration and we can like implementing in Indonesia and make it our own. So you were always clear that, okay, these are all say Americans who are doing these fun educational videos. You wanted to do something that's local just for Indonesia, yeah. dealing with the same topics. Not dealing with the same topics. We also dealing with localized topics. So... One of those topics is why is the rupiah weakening, right? And that's oh, the big yeah. turning point. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a big turning point. How did the, the idea come about? Because didn't you start in around like August 2015? And then you shared this video on September. So within a month, you went viral. And yeah. you went from 15 subscribers to 40,000 subscribers. So yes. what's the behind the scenes of this video? Oh, by the way, because Kaptut already make like five to six videos. So I can imagine how the videos is going to look like. Someone had paid the Kobisa from very first start is Kaptut. And then he asked me to become a co-founder. You know, making an animation video is hard. When we discussed in August, it was just like, hey, do you read the news that our rupiah get weakened to like US dollar. A lot of people like scare because the last time when we hit the rupiah to US dollar is like 14,000. It's the Indonesian crisis in like 1998. A lot of people doesn't want to like experience the crisis, right? It's a lot of fake news attacking the government. That's why we just like, okay, maybe we should make this video based on people's questions about how the rupiah get weakened. I remember the date when we uploaded it is 23rd August, 2015. Yeah, there's a life-changing wow. moment. Yeah. <laughs> Where were the audiences asking the questions? On the comment section in the YouTube channel. In the previous videos, they were asking you, please create these sorts of videos yeah. answering this question. Yeah. So and, they were and, responsive even back then. Yeah. We just like 50 people, 30 people. So we can read all the comments, you know. <laughs> like 2015, we're uploading the videos and then we don't have any kind of expectation to become huge. We made it because we want to actually address this concern. We just want everybody to know what happened to be more credible on the source. If you want to like criticize or anything, yes, you can, but please look at the source of what you're, you're been saying. So it just, yeah, it's just that. And then when we upload it, it's like, boom, we didn't expect that. It's become our first viral video, our first trending video. And what was the feeling like? I mean, was there an instant change to what you guys were doing? I might not say it's an instant change because we do a lot of videos before. I still remember that the 14th video. So I might not say this is like an overnight success. It's more like we've done a lot of videos before, but it's just like some people watch and some people maybe just like doesn't watch this video. The very first views was like 12 people watching the videos. It was like, oh, it's already good. And now we have like 500 views, not 500,000, 500 views. It's good at that time. I'm happy with 250 right now. <laughs> I mean, whatever you're doing, whether you create content or anything, you have to like start somewhere, right? When we hit 100,000 views, it's just like mind blowing. The feeling that I still remember is just like, I'm speechless. <laughs> so we are uploading the videos at night, maybe at like 7 p.m., 8 p.m. And then we are sleeping. And then when we woke up, we are so shocked because everybody's on like social media, we just like reposting a lot of our videos, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everybody just talk about it. We're just like, are we doing the right thing? 
<laughs> I imagine maps have been very exciting too, because I mean, on LinkedIn, I also experience a virality and I, the immediate thought for everyone is, okay, how do I leverage on this? What do I do next? What's my next post, right? What are those thoughts running through your head? What do you guys do? We know that we don't want to be like one hit wonder kind of thing. So after that moment, we just like, hey, we still have a bank of scripts that we can produce now. We don't want to like, okay, because of this success, we just want to stop and become star syndrome of yeah, having the things that excite us a lot. The things that we really think after that is we want to do it again. And then we want to do something bigger afterwards. Maybe it's also happened to you, right? Maybe when you just like hit the link and pause when everybody was reposting and like it a lot and you want to like, I, I want to create more of it. For sure. But how did you guys decide what were the next videos? Did you already have, say, three or four in the bank and you were already going to release it and just follow the schedule? What did that look like for you? <laughs> I'm laughing because I think we only have like two bang of scripts. <laughs> That's too <laughs> so good. Another funny thing is we, oh, so this is it. When you want to become a successful YouTube content creators, you have to upload it like consistently. Consistency one of the key for any content. And the same podcast. day, same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the thing that we have in mind is we should make once a week. That's the worst decision ever. <laughs> Why? Too much work. Oh, that, that's really crazy. We are making the code visa content when we were in college, right? The last semester of college. <laughs> So a lot of people, when they are hit the last semester, which is like a lot of stressful thing because you just have to submit your journal or thesis or your last project. And then because we are stressful doing that, we make Kobisa. <laughs> Ridiculous if I can remember. We just like, maybe once a week is quite okay. No, that's the worst decision ever. Once a week is hard. It's really hard. How did you guys decide who was doing what? The idea is coming from Ketut once again. Actually, Ketut do a lot of things at first. And then, yeah, I cannot take it anymore. And then he asked me to do the illustration. It's called an asset. So an asset can be like animating letters. I did that a lot. And I also have one friend also doing that. His name is Alvin. He also do the scripts. So Alvin did the script at first. And then I'm doing the illustration. And then after that, it's actually the one who like animating it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the kind of content you guys are creating, right? How did you guys go through various iterations? Because that's one of, again, the golden rules of being a content creator. You always have to just do the research, see what else is out there and then try different things. So what were some of the things that you tried that didn't work firstly? I like the terms of that iteration. I call it deliberate practice. So it's just not like practice in the same way. So it's just like, yeah, we're going to do something better, maybe 1% better every time we want to do that. I think the moment is just like, hey, maybe this video is working. I think after 30 videos, I think this video is not working. I think this video is working. So we just like changing the method of taking the scripts, taking the voiceover, changing the art styles. My art style is getting better over time. The script is getting deeper. So we just try two things. The script is getting deeper or the script is getting entertaining. We just try, try it out a lot. And then finally, we have like a formula on how we create the content. So is the formula secret? Can you share? No, I mean, it is a secret for the formula, but the method is not secret. You can like find it elsewhere. One of the things that we really like a lot is like using analogy. When you're explaining things like the economic terms, science it's just like another planetary 
kind of language. We just have to like using the relevant analogy in our daily life. Can you give some examples for those who haven't watched your video? What are some of the analogies you used? I really like this analogy. Can you imagine how far is Earth from the moon? It's a million kilos. We cannot imagine. But actually, we have the analogy of like, hey, can you imagine that this instant noodle is just like having the instant noodle stacked into the moon? It's a lot more relatable. Yeah. Okay. If you want to like building a highest tower in the world, how much is that? We cannot imagine when you say like, hey, it's going to be like a thousand billion US dollar. No, you cannot imagine that. You just like maybe buying 5,000 Lamborghini and then park it in front of your house. So that's how expensive it is. That's a good analogy. I, I really like that. So the analogy that we had a lot in our country, we, we're using it a lot when we have like a flood. When a flood is just like one meter and one and a half meter, they cannot relate. So using an analogy. So the flood is like as tall as knee of adult person. <laughs> so it's just like 50 centimeters. Other than like you say it 15 centimeters, you cannot imagine, but you can imagine, oh, an adult knee. So yeah. You also said you incorporated humor. How did you find the humor and incorporate it? Because it's also a skill to be able to say something that is in a way that makes people laugh and remember. Because is it all scripted? It can be doing in the three ways. The basic of humor is like a tragedy plus time equals humor. We are an animation. Our character is called Kobe. We just like makes Kobe doing some silly things in the videos. So people can relate about it. And then like, we have like a jokes that also related by our audience. The second thing we have like an Easter egg. There's a meatball in every of our video. So people just waiting for the meatball to come out. And (laughs) how did the meatball idea come from? Where did it come (laughs) from? It's a coincidence, but that's a fun part. Me and Ketut Muslims really like meatball. I just ate meatball yesterday, by the way. I love it. (laughs) What a coincidence, man. The other thing is we also have an analogy, a good analogy when we start using meatball <laughs> in Indonesia. It's very local. In Indonesia, we have like a meatball seller that's very localized because a lot of people buying the meatball on the streets so they can relate about it. So the meatball seller using a card and you just wait in your house and then he will coming. They have like a knock making sound and, and you know, oh, that, that's a meatball seller. That's how the street food works here, like Indonesia. Not in many places, but we know about it and how it works. All the Indonesian knowing about these jokes about the meatball. And then the third one is actually the scripts. So we just see if there is any things that we can like adding the humor. When we are explaining about something, maybe we can add the humors on the analogy. Maybe when we want to like closing the videos, we can like twist it into the kind of humor a plot twist and when we explain about some things, maybe we explain about what is love. <laughs> it is really fun to like a twisting into kind of humor. Yeah, it's a three thing that we do. Easter egg and then we do the humors on the animations or the videos and also the script. I noticed that the kind of content it's like you said before that works is very academic, very vocational and also health-based. How did you come to the realization that these were the ones that people most wanted to see? I think we're going to separate it into three types of content. When you create a content, it's going to be like hero, hub, and hygiene. So the hero content is like your most favorite content. Hub is the video that's makes on, on the sites or maybe under the hero content. It's just like the videos that you are currently thinking that it's going to be like another content other than heroes. 
So hygiene is like evergreen content, the things that you do. So we did an evergreen content. We also did like a trending content as well. So the trending content is just like a current issue that we want to like tackle. And then actually the news explains about what happened. Maybe I might get an example of Ukraine and Russia things. It's really hard to understand, you know, it's just like global politics and anything about it. We just like make as short as videos and people can understand. So there's the current issues. But we also did Evergreen content. So the things that you will always asking, like why the sky is blue. The chicken or the egg first? Yes. <laughs> Which one go first, chicken or egg? So it's just like the things that we always asking. How important are shorts? Because that's what everyone is talking about now. You've got TikTok, you know, YouTube is really leaning in, starting to allow creators to monetize shorts. How do you think of shorts? The social media is changing. Everything is easier now to make. When we want to like make a videos, maybe five years ago, you have a DSLR camera or else, but now using your phone, editing in your phone and upload from your phone. So everything is easier. I don't know if it's a good thing or not, because the timestamp that we have is getting shorter and shorter because of the social media. When you want to grab some attention, you just have to grab them for like the three seconds or somebody will just like swipe your videos. But short become the focuses of the social media company now. Like YouTube have shorts, TikTok have their own, and then like Instagram have reels. I really think that shorts is one of the things that a lot of people should try as well because making a content is more easier now. So how do you grab attention then? Because that's what everyone wants to do. And then you have so many people analyzing YouTubers like Mr. Beast and his style, how he puts everything, gives you the conclusion at the very start, and then makes you wonder, how did he even get there in the first place? And then he unravels that whole story. How do you think about grabbing attention? It's different from any type of content. When you want to like grabbing attention from educational content, it's always answering that question first also be relevant like current issue and also the evergreen things i think the concept is quite the same the conclusion first then show how you got there it really depends we have this formula core answer with that so we answer the question but we are not finished do you know why the sky is blue the sky is blue because of this but <laughs> and come for the conclusion so a lot of people was just like curious about it and then you show the rest of the video where the answer is explained yes we have like a bunch of things that we know how to, maybe these things works on grabbing someone's attention. Maybe these things lessen. So it's like trying it out. I would love to talk more about growth and the fact that you obviously have lots of input from your followers as well. What has been the most helpful platform to basically interact with your community? Has it been just the YouTube comments? I noticed you also ask a lot on Twitter as well. What are your main platforms? YouTube is my main platform. Absolutely. For our main audience, I think the second one is Instagram. I think it's because a lot of, at least a lot of audience from Indonesia using Instagram. So yeah, we interact with them a lot there, like Instagram and then they just asking questions and maybe we just like throwing some silly questions on them on the comment section and then we pin. So yeah, I think pin comment is one of the things that we can also interact with them. And is that okay. enough? Because I realized that interacting with my audience, say just on a virtual platform, is very different from in-person as well. How do you actually build community? So the thing that we realize, because of our audience now, we have like 4 million 
subscribers and a lot of Oh yeah, we realized that oh maybe we don't only address the problems for like educational content. So we want to address the problems of like having an education talks, having an education discussion, having a science discussion in our country because it is not. I think it's not usual as well in our country to having like an science discussion or political discussion in a like credible and critical way. The things that we realize we're making a safe space for them to like asking about anything, discussing about anything. So we make a lot of discussion. So we have this program called Antero. Antero means, Antero is Indonesian language. It means the universe. So you can like discuss about anything that's one on actually on the topic that we have. We talk about the science of Star Wars. It, 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 it is really fun. We talk about the superpower of superheroes. Is it really going to be like a science scientific base on how we're going to do it? And then we are talking about the climate crisis, but in the form of, is it the end of the world? <laughs> so yeah, it is fun to actually have a sp- safe space for them to like talk and discuss. We use other platform as well, like Twitter space and Instagram live for like a casual talks. That really works. So we just want to make sure that other than you watching our video, you can also discuss about it. You can also deep dive about the topics because we believe that coming from a curiosity, you can like moving into other place and knowing about things. I wanted to talk about money. So at the yeah. very, very start, when you do YouTube, you're bootstrapping. How was that? prior to you deciding to go full-time? Because I understand with Katut, his parents had doubts about he being a YouTuber. I imagine for your family, same thing too. You know, we are Asian, right? Asian parents always asking about <laughs> the things that is not on the Asian stereotype, I might say. <laughs> so when you're not teachers, doctor or anything, the parents were just like, why don't you go for a government or or anything, right? <laughs> I have the same typical Asian parents as well. Actually, my parents is quite not supportive, I might say, questioning a lot. You got the money and then how are you going to live with it? And then like, are you sure you're in a stable position? Do you want to like a more stable jobs? Because I think it's the same when you are starting an entrepreneurial journey or maybe you build a startups. Your parents will like asking a lot that make sure that you are okay with it. Even that my parents know that I work from YouTube. So, you know, hey, YouTube is made by... My son, I was like, no, I'm I'm not making a YouTube platform. No way. <laughs> I'm just I'm just making a content there. At what point did you decide you were ready to go full time as a YouTuber? I think it's a little bit personal for me. The thing is, I have like a steady job already, and on that time, I have like a day job when I was like in college as well. I was I do the job is like a financial institution. It is paid pretty good, but I might say I'm not that happy realized when i was in that position i want to do something that impacted to other people not just like having money i know having money is for me to like sustain in our life right but i don't want to be like having money but not impacted to other i have an impact to other people so i'm thinking of doing things because you can do a lot of things like the things that i choose is i want to focus on building schools at first that's when Katut contact me and then after the videos of Rupia, I'm thinking that I want to focus full time on here. That's really and early wanna, on. Did you yeah. have any savings at the time or you were just going, I'm just going to give this a go? 
I have savings, but not much. So we just like, okay, I want to go because like Ketut want to go like full time. And then I was like, okay, I want to go full time with you. And then we can build this together. So before we go further into that, how were you deciding in terms of equity? Because obviously, you know, Ketut started, but you're also coming full time, you're a co-founder. How you decide on how the pie is shared? It's quite equal. I communicate with Ketut like a lot. I contact him like every day. <laughs> really? It, it, it feels like a relationship, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's very important when you like want to like marry someone, you just have to know about him or her a lot. Just want to make sure that he is the one or she is the one. So I think it's the same with business as well. When I want to like build a business with him, I'm thinking, oh, he or she is a good person. Is she or she like a good leader? Is she or she like going to back me up when I'm down or something? So yeah, it's quite the same. But the thing maybe in business is it, because it is include money, it's come harder, you know? And this is also for those who are thinking of just doing their own thing, could be YouTube otherwise. What do you think are the questions that need to be raised if you're talking to a potential co-founder? What are the things that we must talk about and decide on first? I think it's pretty obvious for like equity, your day job, maybe your concern. I think the things that I have with Ketut is just like we have a personal, I think we have the same personal interest and we share a lot of, I might say we share a lot of like personal stories. I know his background and he know my background and then we know the vision about it. And then we always talking about the hard things like your family, maybe your problems, maybe your mental health problems. Maybe sometimes we just burn out. Some people are just like, oh, I'm burned out. I want to hide it from my co-founder. No, we just talk to each other. We just like, hey, I'm very burned out now. Maybe I will not take a rest for a while. And I was like, what happened? I want to find out. Maybe I can help. So it's just like more an empathy. I think that's every co-founder must do the hard talks. So how do you navigate around that whole mental health burnout phase? Because what if that person is really burnt out for two months, three months? That's a lot to carry on your shoulder. Yeah. I think it's when we are burnt out, when we are actually want to like stop doing, we just remember why we starting at first. But actually, we, we still take rest. <laughs> I think at very first, when we built Kobisa, we just like work almost every day, I might say. Every day. So like 24-7, like Monday till Sunday. And after that, we realized that we are human. <laughs> so we just have to take a rest. We don't like to push until we get sick and then coming back again, heal and then get sick again and then heal again. It's like a circle. We want to be more productive. If you are tired on doing this thing, we just talk to each other. Hey, can you help me with these things at first? Because I'm totally burned out. I'm raising my concern. I let them know of what I'm doing. And it's quite okay. At least for me and my co-founder. So let's go back again to the topic of money. If you go on YouTube, so many YouTubers will always be showing. This is how much I made from 1 million view video. This is how much I made when I first had YouTube accents. What? is the monetary income streams for you? What does that look like? Okay, it's coming from three sorts of revenue. First one, obviously from the YouTube AdSense, the one that you get when you skip the videos or when you see the banners on the top right corner. And then the second one is also coming from a sponsorships. So let's say these food brands or this food company want to like advertise 
the things in our YouTube content. Or maybe they just want to like Instagram post. We just make a content based on what they want, what the campaign is all about, and then we upload it on our Instagram. So it's sponsorships, like many other YouTubers as well. And then the third one is a service, I may say. Because we can make an animation video, because we can make like a live action video as well. We know the basic of the video production. We can also produce a video production outside our YouTube channel. But it's more like the, the agency-based kind of things. It's more like the production house kind of things. So that's the three sorts of revenue that we got. So I'm probably accurating the third one, the video production is the biggest income source, I would say, because it's catered specifically what do what they want. No, the second one. Oh, oh, wow. So how does one even get sponsorship? Do they drop from the sky or do you have no. to be the one to go to them? It's quite funny because at first it's, Drop from the sky. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you because uh, YouTube is really a good platform for you to like advertise or maybe like showing yourself, right? Maybe it's also part of the marketing things. But other than YouTube, the things that we've done is also selling it ourselves, coming to the brand and then talk about what's your concern or anything. Maybe, maybe we can like solve your problem. So it's not like selling things in front of your face. We just want to solve your problems. That's the key of selling things. We are become the painkiller for them, just vitamins. So we just want to know maybe because we're an educational content, the content that always be like the favorite for the sponsorship is making the videos about the public announcement because public announcement is sometimes really hard when we are hit COVID. Even the COVID-19 is quite new for us, right? It's quite new terms. So we just want to make sure that the COVID-19 terms can be understood by a lot of People who doesn't understand about medical terms or else, or maybe the second one is just like a PR company things, but we don't accept all PR. Maybe some company wants to do a greenwashing. Obviously, we have the value of a climate crisis or else. So we don't I mean, you can't like accept them when you have green peace on your client list. I know, right? <laughs> it's more like of the value that we have. So we don't accept all the sponsorship. We just want to know which one have bring us the value also as well. How do you even start getting sponsors? Who do you approach? How do you do it? So the first sponsor that we got is they are emailing to our email. It's called an inbound, an inbound sales and an inbound marketing. So the content has already been there. So we just like, hey, if you want to like working with us, you can email me here. You can contact us here. If anyone wants to sponsor me or my YouTube, (laughs) please also email me. So how does one go from people coming in to you going out? Who do you approach? How do you pitch? It's the second thing. So we have like inbound and also an outbound. The outbound is when we approach the customer. So sometimes we do like a cold email, maybe also cold message in LinkedIn or any other platform as well. And also we get the contact from our references. We get the contact from our friends as well. But the things that I learned from like approaching for people to become a sponsorship or maybe buying our services is just like we solve their problem. So we don't like selling a lot of, hey, we, we make a videos. Hey, we make a podcast. Hey, we make an infographics in Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is that we listen to them. We listen to them like, hey, actually, what is your problems? What is your goals on this Q1? What is your goals in this next year? We want to know if there's a thing that we can help. I think that's the key when we had like a meetings or we had like pitching for other people. So we solve their problems. 
So you basically write in saying, hey, this is what we do. Can we help you in some way? Can we have a coffee chat for 30 minutes? Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. And how do you decide on pricing? Mm, it depends <laughs> again. But for, I think we have like more fixed price on the content or sponsorships because, you know, we have like a YouTube traffic, our social media traffic. So it's fixed, but it's more flexible on the services sites because it really depends on what they want to do. If they want to make a video with like drone, with VR, AR, it's going to be more expensive, you know, rather than, hey, can, can you take a video with your phone? It's more cheaper. So it really depends on the requirement. But the sponsorship deals that coming from our YouTube platform is quite fixed. Is there a range in terms of sponsorship for those who are also YouTubers, but I don't even know how to begin to price because it's not like this kind of number is out there in public, right? I think you can always do three things in pricing. The first thing that you do is like find a reference. It's really easier to find reference. I think you can find it in an influencer platform. Let's say they these people have like thousand followers how much they charge for like one post. So you can have the benchmark. The second thing is also count for your exposure. When you want to buy ads, let's say you have like a CPM, right? Like you have a CPC. So you have every thousand view, it costs like $1. We have like, I give an example, maybe based on your podcast, maybe like, hey, we have like a monthly listener like this and every podcast is going to be like listened by a thousand of people. So a thousand of people cost this much. Because listening or maybe one people is cost this much because listening is more like engaging where you have to like fully listen into it. So yeah, it really depends on, on the platform as well. Making Instagram, maybe it's more cheaper than making a 10 minute YouTube videos, obviously. That's coming for the third part. So the first one is reference. The second one is the, you count for the exposure. The third one is your production costs. You have to count your production costs. So Using, let's say using a camera, using, I mean, the DSLR camera. And also when you want to like using a phone camera, it's different. You can always count that production things. How do you calculate on production costs? There's a lot. I'll give an example. Let's say you want to make an education video with live action. So you just have the camera on it. So the price is like script, storyboard, and then the shooting location. If you want to like renting, right? The camera that you rent. If you already had the camera, how much do you want if the camera is renting to other people? You can always find the reference of how much this camera price renting. How much is the camera? How much is the place? How much is, let's say, the lighting, if you want? How much is the pay price for like the microphone? So you break down all that kind of stuff and then see if you can find profit around it. So you know the cost and then yeah, you just like raise the price for a little bit. I think the fair price is like 50 on two times based on your production costs. For a 10-minute video. And then, it's yeah, not, you, can, yeah. you can find that card from there. It's always interesting because I found it by myself and it's really happy for me to like share for other people to count about. Yeah, people don't realize just how much everything costs, right? And they will look at one video and think, why would a five-minute video cost five oh, figures? But it I miss one of the things. It's really important. The fourth thing. The deadline. <laughs> the closer, the higher. The closer, the higher, obviously. I wonder, you've obviously been doing this since 2015. You've grown to 4 million and 21, 4.2 million subscribers. What's next for you? 
I think we already have the media and we think that Kobisa alone is not enough for me, for me personally and also for the other teams to like. I don't think the word disrupt is right. I think the, to become an alternative media for the people to watch an edu- education content. So the next thing is just we want to build another Kobisa. We want to build another content creators that also can be even maybe bigger than Kobisa. So we just want to, at the end of the day, maybe my own wild wild dream, I might say, we want to make sure that Indonesian people can have an alternative of watching and education content. So that's why we are doing an initiative, the Academy of Education Content Creator. We want to like empower all the education content creators to make a good educational content, a high quality education content that can be watched by Indonesian people. And so yeah, how- it's the next dream. And how can listeners help you? We also want to make an English language content. It's been highly, highly, highly requested <laughs> because we only make like an Indonesian language content. So yeah, I think how the audience support us is that when we drop the English content, you, you guys can like subscribe and watch the, all the videos. The other things that the audience, especially maybe outside Indonesia, yeah, what they can do is If you guys have the source of like the science or education content that we can make together, we are really open for like collaboration or else. And if the brand who listened to it, please email me. So I also have questions from people who follow this channel and I would love to play them for you so that you can also answer their questions. Hi, it's Nick. I work in an ed tech company. Could you perhaps share a time when you thought that your viewers and the students would like something and you later found out that they in fact didn't like it you know what was that journey of discovery like and, and how did it change how you worked let's say i have an example that the students want to make a videos about let's say physics maybe the student wants to want to know about gravity the topic requested by the student because they don't understand and then you make a videos because of the video is sometimes you just like talking about the formula of the gravity and not give an example on it maybe that's where it didn't quite catch for them i think it's more like what is there really needs on the videos is it the videos or like you are teaching about the theory of gravity or is it the videos about understanding the gravity it's quite two different things if you want to like watch the can academy video there's already been expand on that but the things other than the can academy videos you can also watch the other type of content it's actually taught about the misconception first and then the understanding about it and then after that you can memorize the formula better it doesn't mean the can academy video is not good i'm also learning about critical thinking on can academy which is quite good i think it depends on what they needs it's not what they want actually In your opinion, do you think that the traditional textbook still has a place in the student learning experience, or, or do you think we're we're at a point through you know digital technology and access to video content whereby actually video is going to be the new format, the main format for learning material of the future? No, the video cannot replace the book. Podcast cannot replace by video. There's a lot of like pros and cons in. In many things like that, if the people is more like to know the concept deeper and faster in in some ways, they prefer to like reading books. Let's say if you like to read about the history, 
I think it's more suitable for you like to read the books because all the details is already been in the books. But compared to videos, because the script has already been edited and then like the things to be more, oh, this is more concise. At some point, it's become the cons of learning by videos. So I think other than which one is better, why don't you combine all the things? You can learn with the books when you don't understand about the concept that you know about the books, you can find the videos. But when you don't know about it, maybe you listen to some podcasts, maybe you just find it on Wikipedia, find it on Google and better understanding it and then mix and match all the things. So I think it's more like complementary. I also read some books and then I cannot understand that. And then I find some videos, the summary of the books. It's getting more exciting for me to write reading the books. In your opinion, is there a difference in appeal between videos that feature animated content as opposed to the traditional talking head where it's just a, you know, a human talking to camera? Have you observed any differences in effectiveness between the animated format and the talking head format for learning materials? Oh, good question. I like it. Again, the same answer for me, like, is it better to use books or videos? The question, it depends. The talking head is going to be more exciting when you have something that's showing. Or maybe the talking head is quite works if you want to like only listening to the lectures. So it's more like a video recording podcast, I might say, <laughs> or the Khan Academy style. It is more easier for you to like showing the formula, showing how to like solving the problems on this kind of test or anything. It is more effective other than animation. The animation is really good for you to have like visualize about something, do the things that cannot be done by the live action video or talking head. But the coin is really hard to make. The good thing is, why don't you combine <laughs> again? The talking head plus maybe a little bit slideshow, a little bit animation on it. I think yeah, the biggest YouTube channel doing that is Crash Course by John and Hank Green. What they did is like John Green talking with this like talking head and then they put an animation for like something that cannot be explained by talking head and it is interesting it's really good i was just wondering if we could just hear some of your thoughts on what it's like to create content that feels very genuine to a youth and by extension is something that a youth can engage with i need to know the context of the questions i think questioning big things is very engaging for our younger audience how big is the universe make you thinking about how small you are in the universe as well the evergreen content, the current issue. Sometimes the youth want to know maybe what happened in like Ukraine and Russia. And then maybe some young audience want to know about what happened in the current situation, like global issues, maybe what happened in like Indonesia, what happens in Singapore, what happened in Malaysia and this current issue. They want to have a better understanding. Why? Because at some point they don't want to be like formal. They can do is like watching the videos explain about what happened in the news or maybe reading some reading is going to be like i might not say that reading is not an option by the young audience but it depends on the people maybe maybe some people just like to read just i'm the one who just like do the reading first and then watch the video afterwards or maybe listen to podcasts and then watch the video afterward it depends on the people as well but yeah that's the answer of the question is the evergreen and then the current issues and also the grand topics, I may say. Final question. Some yeah. of your video content is student-led. It features students that are almost like teaching the lesson and others are taught by a representative from your company. How do you decide which topics are sort of student-led in their teaching and which are 
representative or teacher-led from your company? It depends on the topic. Let's say the topic is talk about biology. It's got to be more credible for like it's been teached by some teachers or maybe some like biology expert, maybe some professors. But when it comes to like practical way of vocational type of content, it's more easier for like you to put some people who, who are expertise on that things. So I think to bear in mind, someone who, learning is more like about sharing, not someone that who are clever than you or else. It's more like the people have more information than you. I think you can learn from, from anywhere else. Really have a good quote from our national heroes. He's our national education hero. His name is Ki Hajar Dewantara from Indonesia. His quote is, Make everyone your teachers and make every place your school. So that's, yeah, you can learn from anywhere in the world. I love the fact that you ended on that. And I would love to wrap up this interview, Gerald, with these questions. Do you feel like you have found your why? Yeah, to become a Superman. (laughs) Yeah, Amazing thing. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Stay curious. Ask every question that you want to know. And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? Humble. And where can people go to find out more about you? What besides doing support you, etc.? Okay, so you can find my LinkedIn on Gerald Sebastian. You can find our YouTube channel, Kobisa, K-O-K-B-I-S-A. In the YouTube channel, you can find our Instagram as well. Yeah, with the same name, Kobisa, K-O-K-B-I-S-A. And is there anything else you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? The things that I learned, perhaps. Don't work harder, work smarter. And that was the end of episode 108. The show notes and transcript can be found at sellthismywide.com forward slash 108. And if you haven't done so already, please do leave a rating or review for this podcast. It really helps the podcast to grow and I read every single review. And do stick around for next Sunday because we will be meeting a lawyer. She was the former director of compliance at Barclays during the 2008 financial crisis and led the efforts to acquire Lehman Brothers in the US for £1.75 billion. She then ended up working for Tony Blair, the former prime minister of the UK, for eight years before entering the world of Web3, where she now works as the general counsel for Parity Technologies. One of Parity's founders, Gavin Wood, co-founded Ethereum and coined the term Web3. If you want to learn more about what it takes to operate in the highest legal sphere, then this is the episode for you. So do stick around, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already, and see you next Sunday.